So we've been in this series called I See You. And it's a series where we're looking at Jesus' encounters with different people and how he sees them for who they truly are. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and flip open to Luke 15. Luke 15, that's going to be the scripture that we're in today. And as you're flipping there, I wanted to talk about this graphic that we have here. It's also printed on the the front of your worship bulletins. Um, Jackie and I in the office do a lot of the design work. I ended up designing this one. And so I just wanted to share a little bit about what what we have on here. Uh, This is actually a collection of different pictures from something called Humans of New York. And Humans of New York uh, basically is a photographer that goes around New York and he takes a picture of someone and gets a piece of their story. And so he publishes it on Facebook, on Instagram. He has a picture of someone and then a story, something about their life. And so it's a really cool thing. Uh, And so as I put all of these different pictures on there, it's people from all different kinds of walks of life, Uh, like literally everything you could possibly imagine. And as I put them all on there, I read their story. And so when I, when I look at this design, when I, when I, when I see these faces, I'm, I'm reminded of their stories. And what I like about Humans of New York is that it puts uh, stories to all the faces that we might see as we're walking through, I mean, we don't live in New York, but uh, through the streets every day. He just stops kind of random people and asks them and gets a little piece, seeing a little bit deeper into their life. And that's kind of like... How, how Jesus ends up seeing deeper into people's lives over and over and over again in the Gospels. So, in Luke 15, verse 1, read with me there. It says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And so, there were categories that everyone seemed to fit into in the first century. And here we have two of them. We have the tax collectors and the sinners. And these are categories that people were put into. And there are tons of different categories. There were the lepers. There were the clean and the unclean. There were Jews and Samaritans and Jews and Gentiles. And there were fishermen and there were rabbis and there were uneducated and educated. All different categories and classifications that people could fall into. But here in this story, we see tax collectors and sinners right off the bat. And in general, whenever tax collectors and sinners is mentioned in the gospel, it's those who did not follow the moral laws of Judaism. And they were two distinctly separated groups. They didn't just call them all all sinners because, you know, you see, people disliked tax collectors so much that they didn't want to insult the sinners by grouping them together. (laughs) And then there were the Pharisees, which we're going to see in a second, who were the teachers of the law. And these guys, they didn't like Jesus. And it's because their hearts were totally off. So let's look at verse 2. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They did not like Jesus, and they didn't like what Jesus did. And you see, because Jesus came as a religious leader, kind of, kind of like them, religious leaders, but he did not do what they did. They kept their distance from so-called sinners. And Jesus welcomed them and went into their homes and ate meals with them and had the deepest compassion on them. And we heard a story last week from Dean preaching on the adulteress that Jesus saved her life. She was going to be stoned. 
He loved them, and he drew close to them. And so the first observation that we have about this text right off the bat is that people who were not like Jesus liked Jesus. Liked Jesus. So we have crowds of sinners and tax collectors who gather around him. They were drawn to him because of who he was and what he did. And so it makes me think, is that how the church is? The church, you know, it's called to be the body of Christ after all. And together, we should be like he is. Is that how you are? Are people who are not like you drawn to you? Are you that compassionate? Do you make yourself available? Do you spend time with those who are not like you? Jesus did this because, in the second observation, Jesus viewed them differently. Jesus viewed them differently. So we have the sinners gathering around Jesus, and the Pharisees are looking in with their condescending judgment, and they are not viewing these people the right way. And they are not viewing them how Jesus does or how God does. And then Jesus launches into three different parables to show how God views them. We get two parables that are about lost things and one about a wayward son. And so the first parable is about a lost sheep, and we see that in verses 3 through 7 there. The story goes like this. There's a shepherd that has 100 sheep. He has 100. He loses one, and so he has 99 left. That's math. And he leaves that 99 there, and he goes and he finds that lost sheep, and he brings it back. And when he brings it back, he invites family and friends over for a celebration for finding that sheep. And it seems a little extravagant. He, he throws a party because he found this one sheep. And then the second parable is very, very similar to it. A woman has ten coins. She loses one. She searches all over the place. She finds her coin, and she celebrates. Both of these parables show us that the heart of God toward sinners is compassionate. And what Jesus is getting at is that these sinners and tax collectors are the lost ones, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and God is searching for them, seeking them out because he loves them. He shows us how God the Father views others. And so where we have categories for different people, we have sinners and righteous and the clean and the unclean, and then there's men and women and children. We see all these distinctions laid out in the Bible. God categorized them primarily in a different way. First and foremost, these sinners who are lost are his children, his children, his loved ones, not some outcasts who should be ignored. Even though he has 99 sheep in that parable, he goes after the one who has gone astray. And while the sinners have sin in their lives, it is not what defines them. Their definitive characteristic is that they are loved by God. They are his children. And we, we know that kind of love. We, we often see it in relationships with parents and children, parents and children, and yet... On the opposite side of that love, I have listened to some stories of students whose parents essentially say to them, 
the opposite of that kind of love. They say, your accomplishments define you, not who you are. And when it's bad, they show that to students. If you're not getting straight A's or you're not playing a sport well, well, to be honest, I love you a little bit less. They might not say that, but that's what they see. And when you mess up, you're a failure or a thief or a slut. And I've heard those names. And that's when it really goes wrong. God doesn't see you that way. The category that you're in that supersedes all others is that you are his child. You are his loved one. And so what's the point of these two parables? The lost matter deeply to God. The lost matter deeply to God. In both of these first two parables, there are two things. One is there is an urgency from the one who is looking. What was lost is searched for quickly and with passion. And two, there is extraordinary joy. When what was lost is found, they throw parties. And it seems to be unreasonably extravagant celebrations over what was lost. Those who are far from God matter so deeply to God. And these two parables show us the urgency and the search and the joy that overcomes him when they are found. Jesus shows us how valuable these sinners and tax collectors really are to God. And now he could have just told one parable to get this point across. He, he, he really could have. It's really almost the same parable again and again, and then the third one kind of in a different way. But he tells it three times. He really wants to drive across this point. So we get three stories. And so now where the first two are very similar, the third is different. Because the point Jesus is ultimately making is about people, not objects. It's, about, it's not about ownership. It's about relationship. Because the Father desires restored relationship. The Father desires restored relationship. And so when we walk into the last story, the the story of the prodigal son, you guys uh, did a class on this recently in the second hour, so you guys know so much about this. Uh, It's awesome. Uh, (laughs) But we're going to go over it just a little bit today too. As we walk into this last story, we see a broken relationship between a father and a son. And we don't see it outright explicitly, but we feel it. A son basically says to his father in this story, look, I am going to get half of your stuff when you die, so let's just go ahead and pretend you're dead now and let me get that stuff. That would be great. <laughs> I don't condone that, parents. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, oh, how in this culture, how dishonorable and shameful this would have been. The boldness and the pride of the son to ask for such a thing and essentially wish his father dead. And it, honestly, to me, when I read that, it just sounds like the bigger narrative of humanity's relationship with God, where mankind says, look, God, just let me have life without you. Let me, let me do my own thing. I know how this works. I know what's best for me. I don't need you. 
the essence of sin. And what, what does God do? He says, okay, have life. Have it without me. And in this story, what does the father do? He ends up funding the son's departure. And why does he do this? Because he knows that funding the departure will end up being the fastest way to get his son back. We are not possessions. Like, we're not sheep or we're coins. We're, we're people. Relationships are what God desires. And so this last parable shifts the focus. The father allowed the son to do what he wanted to get his own way because there was a broken relationship. And you can't just find a fixed relationship. You can't just force a relationship on someone. The father then had to wait patiently for the son's decision to come back and to realize that this life wasn't all he made it out to be. The son takes the money and he goes and he spends it extravagantly. He goes to Vegas, essentially, and loses it all. And we can just imagine the father who's lost his son, watching and waiting, the love for his son so great that the distance and separation just seems unbearable. But it's necessary, and so he waits. And this son is so far off and away from mom and dad with all his newly inherited money, and he's just spending it on whatever he thinks will make him happy. He's just using up everything that the father has given him. And he ends up coming to the end of himself. And I would bet there are some people in this room, or you know some people, that are feeling that way today. Things are going wrong. Your relationship with God just hasn't been right. You've walked away. You feel far from God. But he wants you back. These parables illustrate the Father's love. Come back to him. Talk to him. Pray to him. He wants you back. And so, to some application. If the lost matter to God, then the lost matter to God's people. The lost matter to God's people. And so we have to ask, do the lost matter to me? Does my life look like Jesus? Jesus, who came to earth and didn't spend time focusing on the righteous. He came for the sick and the poor and the downtrodden, those who had left their relationship with the Father. Jesus says, that is why I'm here. The Pharisees are sitting, sitting there and judging him for spending time with these people, and he says, that's, that's why I'm here. That's my priority. That's my passion. That's what brought me to earth in the first place, was to connect those people back to the Father. Nothing is more important to me, is what Jesus says. And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to model it in my life, in my ministry, with every person that I meet. And I'm going to equip my disciples to do the same thing. And this will be the mission of the church. Do we follow 
in his steps, in, in our relationships? Do, do we know people who even don't align with our values, but who like us? Do we give people a place to explore before they even believe they feel safe? You know, something that uh, we're trying out with the youth group is that we are opening the doors of the youth group after school on Wednesdays right at 3 o'clock and just saying, hey, we're going we're gonna to feed you tons of junk food. I'm really sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's cheaper and it's delicious. They like it. They come. Uh, <laughs> and we'll just have the doors open. You can do homework. You can play video games. You can talk and hang out. Do whatever you want. It's just an open space for you to come right over from West, which is just a couple blocks away, and hang out with each other. Invite your friends. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a safe place where you can meet other people who are like us. The lost do matter to us here at Nova. But what do we do? What do we do about it? How, how can we do this at Nova? And then what must I do is what you begin to ask yourself. And you start asking those questions and maybe you get a little bit freaked out. Because uh, lost people do matter to me. But what, what do I do? And this is where a lot of people freeze and, and are just like, I don't know. I don't know enough about the Bible. If somebody has questions, how am I going to be able to answer them? I'll just give them my pastor's email address. He'll answer all the questions. Uh, uh, Or maybe just asking, what effect could I possibly have? Like, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to hand out tracts to people? Do you want me to, to give to Billy Graham crusades? Do you want me to stand with a sign? Do, do you want me to like, make sure that I like, low-key drop in like, Jesus' name into conversations and I did this at church and into like, every conversation that I have? Like, what, what can I do? And will it really work? I think we get a lot of anxiety when we begin thinking about these things and feel unsure. I think we have to remember that the next point in your notes, God is the one who saves. God is the one who saves, not us. It's about God and how he can use me in all this. He will choose to use me if he wants to. And I I think this takes a great deal of stress off of our shoulders. And so I I have something to ask of all of you. And it's something kind of big, but it's also very, very simple. Very simple. I would like all of us to pray all the time. All the time. For everyone you encounter. But like seriously. And so that sounds daunting. That sounds crazy, uh, but I think it's possible. I'm not asking you to drop to your knees and pray for a few minutes every time you run into someone new. That could really slow down your day. Uh, But what I'm talking about is maybe, just maybe, something like a five-second prayer. (laughs) And I, I have one, and I printed it in your notes that other people use, and it goes like this. Father, please send your Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of these people, or you could fill in the blank for their name, draw them to Jesus, and make them kingdom laborers. Do that repeatedly to everyone. Pray for your neighbors 
literally. Like when you're at home later, like look to the left and be like, I'm going to pray for them. And then look to your right and be like, I'm going to pray for them. And then you look up if you're like in an apartment or something and be like, I'm going to pray that they're stop being so loud. Um, and I'm also going to pray this prayer for them. <laughs> and you pray for your coworkers or your friends, people that you run into at the grocery store. Begin, begin praying. A five-second prayer and just do that repeatedly and then wait and watch and see what God does. Because even when I say that, maybe you're thinking, all right, but I don't know that person or that person. Well, I think it's going to be really hard to pray for someone and not say hi to them or to know their name. And so as you're praying for them, you're going to be like, man, I should find out this person's name or maybe I should say hi to them and it will be awesome. And maybe, just maybe, you begin to think, I should say something about Jesus. And when you think that, I think you should wait. And it's a little controversial, maybe, maybe. But I, I, think, I don't think that sharing the gospel is all about saying the name of Jesus. The gospel is all about Jesus? Absolutely but there are actions and helping out one another and a life spent together that's going to make all the difference and a deeper connection so that when you do say the name of Jesus, it's all the more powerful. And they see that in your life. When you live a life that is glorifying to God, he will give you the right words and the right timing and the right opportunity. But I think saying, hey, maybe wait, takes a little bit of the anxiety and the stress off of you. Because I, I think we need to ask, how can I really, really love this person, like really love them, and not just love them whether or not they come to church, or whether or not they end up knowing Jesus, or whether or not they end up liking me, you know, every now and every now and then, I, I get evangelized to, which is terribly interesting. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, hey, I know something you don't know. <laughs> uh, I, and I've been handed pamphlets. I have been asked questions. I have been indirectly yelled at. If you've ever been to the Torrance DMV in the morning, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> but in every encounter that I've ever had, I have felt like someone was trying to sell me something. And I, I don't know if you're like me or not, uh, but even when someone is trying to sell me something, and even though I might want it, I don't really want it from them like anymore because they're trying to sell it to me. <laughs> like, you, I, I negotiated a new contract for our printer, and the salesman came in and was like, hey, you should get a color printer. And I put him through so much flack, like, just like making sure that this was the best, best possible thing. And it ended up what? It saved us lots of money. So <laughs> it was great. But I don't trust salesmen. <laughs> and a lot of the time when we talk about Jesus, we feel like salesmen. And I think people are really rubbed the wrong way when we do that. But I think we already do great at this. And I think we need to do it with even more intentionality. You guys are building relationships. You guys are talking about Jesus. And you guys are doing it really well. 
let's continue to build those relationships and doing it out of pure love. Pure love. Not some need to get them to come to church. Like Jesus did with all the people he encountered. Because those people weren't just sinners and tax collectors first and foremost. They were children of God, his beloved. We need to change how we see people. And we need to pray a lot because God is the only one who's going to be able to do it. It's not our words without his power behind it that's going to do anything. It's not our actions that are going to do, that's going to do anything without his power behind it. Let's just wait and see what God does as we interact with the world. And let's change how we see people and see people like God the Father does.